0: Well, good morning, church family. Morning. Today, we're gonna to continue on and continue our journey in Hebrews 11. Uh, we're getting actually close to the end. Uh, it's been fun. It's been a fun trip. Um, and this week is our second uh, week in the life of Moses. And we're gonna do a little more bouncing back between uh, Hebrews and Exodus this morning. So feel free to follow along in your copy of the scriptures or much of it will be on the screen. Uh, also, happy Memorial Day. Uh, it's, a, it's a weekend um, with a purpose. And if you are a, a family that has uh, paid the ultimate price uh, in your family, uh, we wanna just say uh, on behalf of our, our church, uh, thank you. Um, we're blessed to live in a place uh, where men and women have given their lives for us on our, on our behalf. And so we wanna say thank you to, to you guys and, and your families and um, I hope hope we have a weekend where we can remember that as well. It's amazing uh, how a picture uh, will remind you of something that you totally forgot about. Uh, Since the advent of the photo album, this has always been the job of parents, right? Uh, Your parents, they used to pull out the old photo album um, and show. they'd love to show that embarrassing picture of you. It's as though they needed to make sure all your friends saw how silly your bangs were in the sixth grade, um, or how cute you looked in those little suspenders, um, whatever embarrassing picture they could find. And, but now you don't even need parents for this. Uh, if you're on social media, that takes care of it for you. Uh, every year, Facebook says, hey, do you remember this? You remember this little picture? Uh, remember how silly you looked? Actually, Facebook doesn't say that. They just, it's, 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 I think it's in the code, but they don't say it out loud. Uh, you remember that? That's neat. I'm going to show you that again. Um, and for better or for worse, every year, here it is again. You want to look at it again? Remember that again. Um, what, what, what do pictures do for us? They seal those memories. Uh, they, you, you, you remember when you see the picture. I remember what that was like. Um, and God did this for his people. He would use all sorts of things. He would use altars and feasts. He would even change someone's name. Why? To mark the occasion, to make it something that they could never forget. And so this is perhaps, I think, this is why this, this event uh, in the scriptures, outside of the crucifixion and the resurrection, uh, there's no other event in the Bible uh, through which the Lord has done this more uh, than about the exodus. There are feasts about the Exodus, there are Psalms about the Exodus, even New Testament sermons about the Exodus. The Exodus is the song the Bible plays over and over again. Why? So his people would remember, so that we would remember. And So so today as we look at the life of Moses and his faith, uh, we're gonna remember what God did again. And let's remember it again and, and we're gonna look to what he did in Egypt. And so I want us to see three things. Number one, A faith has to wait. Number two, faith has to remember. And number three, faith must walk. Let me pray for us as we get started. Father, we, we we forget a lot. Lord, we believe, but still we pray help our unbelief. We need reminders from moment to moment, from day to day, from hour to hour of your kindness, your goodness to us. And so, Father, would you do that again for us today by your Spirit? Would we, would we remember what you've done for us? Would you remember what we did for your, what you did for your people? And would we, would we treasure it? Would we not forget? And by your grace, would you, uh, would you s- stir up within us worship, and praise of you for all that you've done? So we ask this in Christ's name, Amen. So number one, faith has to wait. Verse 27, by faith, he, Moses, left Egypt behind, not being afraid of the king's anger for, for Moses persevered as one who sees him who is invisible. So we hear by faith, Moses left Egypt behind. And it really begs the question, uh, Moses left Egypt a couple of times. So what, which, which time is this talking about? And I think it makes the most sense uh, to see this as the first time Moses leaves Egypt, not the other time when he leaves with everyone else. Uh, but some people will question, well, how is that an example of faith? Um, this, this portion of Moses' life is it's interesting. Remember, he was 40 uh, when he refused his place as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And, and it's as a, at 40 years old, Moses, he, he leaves uh, the palace of Pharaoh and he sees the plight of his people and this, this, there's this moment, right, of, of righteous anger that Moses has was he strikes and kills uh, an Egyptian who was beating one of the Hebrews. And, and so was, was this it? Was this the beginning of the revolution, the, the step one of the Exodus? Did Moses stay and fight? No, no, he knew. He knew he wasn't ready. He quickly knew. He was overwhelmed by what he saw happening. He tried to resolve it uh, in his own strength and his, even his own anger. And he, he kills this Egyptian. And even the Hebrews who heard about that were like, Hey, is this what you do? Like, is this who you are? You're just going to kill anyone who crosses you? Are you going to kill us too? And then we hear that Pharaoh was angry with him. And so what did he do? He, he ran, he left Egypt and he went out to a place called Midian. And now many would see this and say, you know, that, this doesn't sound like a faith story. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot to like in the story of Moses but but the way he left Egypt this doesn't really seem like one that we would highlight and and yet here we are in Hebrews highlighting this part of his life and i i think i think this is exactly this, i think this is exactly a picture of faith this is exactly what the author of Hebrews is highlighting because oh what faith is required to actually wait for something Moses had been ready he thought He was indignant. He was ready to lead the charge against Pharaoh to stand against the mistreatment of his people. But sometimes it takes tremendous faith to say, I'm not quite ready yet. I still need some seasoning. I see the opportunity, the need, but it's not my time. In fact, it would probably feel really good to go for it right then. But wisdom says, wait. And so Moses, he walks away from the battle. And he goes out to the land of Midian for 40 years. And Midian wasn't just next door. It was 300 plus miles away. So this is at least 15 days. For me, it feels like that would be longer than to walk 300 miles. Um, But sometimes there's there's a good opportunity, right? For us, we see good, holy opportunities in front of us. But then the timing is so obviously not the Lord's. And I think in our immediate satisfaction culture, uh, the culture that has produced K-Cups um, and text messages and 27-year-old CEOs, the idea of letting an opportunity pass by, of submitting yourself to the Lord and saying, okay, teach me, grow me in wisdom. And when the time is right, then send me." me. That, that sort of patience is rare these days, but it is so important. So powerful. I'm so grateful. uh, My brother Lawson, um, who is one of our uh, leaders here, uh, when he came to our church uh, to do student ministry, uh, he had, there, there there was never any stating, this is what I should do, but it was a, man, whatever I could do. Uh, whatever the elders see that that I could help, however I could help, that's what I want to do. Always humble, always willing to to stay in the role he's in. And we would ask questions like, you know, what what do you see yourself doing down the road? Uh, do you see yourself preaching or leading or maybe maybe even church planting? Uh, and, and he would he would always answer humbly. Uh, maybe maybe the Lord has that in store for me at some point. I, I don't think I'm ready for it, uh, but I want to keep learning. And if the elders see that in me, then 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 Man, I've been, I want you to affirm it. And you can always find someone who will tell you, go for it, go do it. But who are the wise ones in your life? The wise ones who will look at you and say, hey, maybe not yet. And who are those wise ones that you'll actually listen to when they say it? Waiting allows for training, for maturity, for, for seeking wisdom from those who've done it before you. Waiting allows room for you to ask godly friends and pastors, mentors, parents, am I ready for this? Do you see this in me? And being ready and maybe even eager for them to say, hey, not, not yet, just, just a, I see it coming, but wait. And if you have someone that you can trust like that, who can tell you where you still need to grow, cherish that. Keep listening to them. Praise God for leaders in our life like that. Think for just a moment. Consider the Lord Jesus. Do you ever think how, about how Jesus lived for 30 years as a man before saying, okay, my time is here? He, he, these weren't like dog years. Like, it wasn't like he had like a fast forward button that he could just pull out the remote and just skip ahead. Uh, no, he lived each of those 30 years and he learned he stubbed his toe he got stomach bugs he learned a craft probably slowly from his father and he learned from the rabbis that's 10,000 plus days i think i did the math right that's many days filled with hard work followed by just that many nights and there was no sleep number bed there was no memory foam like these were these were long hard years When you feel like you've waited long enough, look to the patience of your savior. God waited, everyone waited. It's not like there was no need for a savior. Certainly human sinfulness and suffering caused Jesus to anticipate when when the father would say, now's the time. And then one day Jesus stepped into the waters to be baptized by his cousin, John. And the father says, okay, okay, everyone, here he is. This is my boy. He's been waiting. Creation has been groaning, but now, now is the time. So so we see this as Hebrews jumps from Moses leaving Egypt straight to the pinnacle of his ministry uh, back in Egypt. But in between those two verses, there's 40 years in Midian. 40 years of waiting, preparing, maturing. The Midianites were relatives of the Jews. They they descended from one of Abraham's boys. Uh, So they weren't part of the nation of Israel, uh, but they were cousins. Many in Midian likely still knew of God and feared him. And when Moses arrived, uh, he met seven women at a well, and he defended them against some sort of sketchy shepherd. And so their dad, Jethro, who we later find out is the priest of Midian, uh, he invites this young man to say, bring him in for dinner. So of course Moses stays and eventually he marries uh, one of Jethro's daughters, Zipporah. And then they go right back to Egypt, right? No, no, they, they, he stays. They have a son there. And in a, a chapter later, we see that Moses is shepherding Jethro's flocks. So he's, he's working He's living a life. And that, but at the end of Exodus 2, we get just a little hint that things are soon going to change. Exodus 2, verse 23 says, after a long time, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned because of their difficult labor. They cried out and their cry for help because of the difficult labor ascended to God. God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the Israelites and God knew. God knew. So 40 40 more years, 40 more years of slavery, of pain. How long, oh Lord, the psalmist writes. But in verse 24, God knows. God knows his promise. He knows his people. He hasn't forgotten them. If, if If you're suffering today, God has not forgotten you. And so as Moses is out shepherding, God shows up in a burning bush, because apparently Moses is gonna need a little bit more of a push this time. Uh, as a young man, he was raring and ready to go at 40, but now he's 80 and uh, he's gonna live a little bit longer than we do these days, uh, but, but he's still 80 now. He's still got some good years, but, but he's settled now. And God shows up and he shows himself to Moses in power. And from a burning bush, he tells Moses, hey, take off your sandals. This is, this is God you're around. He says, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses responds properly. He hides his face. He knows who God is. And God tells him, my people are in agony. He tells him their spirits are broken. But he's telling Moses, now it's time. I've promised my people a land and I'm going to rescue them and take them there and you're gonna lead them. You're gonna take them back from Pharaoh, out of Egypt, right back here to this mountain. And the man who was ready to fight 40 years ago, he says, mm, who am I? Who am I that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And I, I think we read this, and I, hopefully, hopefully, if you read it charitably, you go, maybe Moses grew up a little bit. Like maybe he's a little more humble. He understands his limitations a little more. Um, but it sounds a little bit like fear, Right? And God answered, I will certainly be with you. Um, But that didn't do it for Moses. He says, okay, but if I say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you and they ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them? And God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. So God is giving them his name, Yahweh. Maybe more accurately, I will be who I will be. And then he says, tell them this, I'm the God of Abraham the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. That's who sent you. That's who sent you. This is my name forever. This is how I'm to be remembered in every generation. God is saying, I'm the same God. I've been there. You may have forgotten me, but I have not forgotten you. You are still my people. And then he tells Moses everything that's gonna happen. He tells him Pharaoh is going to refuse. And by, then he tells him, by the time that I'm done with Pharaoh, He's gonna be giving you riches and money and things just to get out. But even then, Moses is still hedging a little bit and God lets him go on for maybe like five more seconds. At least that's how I imagine it. Before God finally just says, who placed a mouth on a human? Who makes a person mute or deaf, seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and I will teach you what to say excuses done. So Moses leaves. He leaves with his new family and he goes back. And with the help of his brother Aaron, they tell the leaders of Israel, here's what's about to happen. And over the next several chapters, God brings incredible sign upon, incredible sign and plague upon Egypt. Moses and Aaron, they tell Pharaoh, let God's people go. Let let them go and worship him and be free. And I'm sure Moses sounded way cooler than Charlton Heston, but this is the let my people go scene, right? And with each plague, Pharaoh begs for mercy, sometimes promising freedom, sometimes seeming as though he's giving in, but each time when God relents, Pharaoh hardens his heart again and he refuses to let God's people leave. And so God bombards them with plague after plague. The Nile turns to blood, destroying all their fish and their drinking water an invasion of disgusting frogs, which sounds cuter than it probably really is. Gnats, maybe even lice, come all over everyone, on people, on animals. And Pharaoh had his magicians trying to recreate these things for like a second. But once they got to the gnats, they just quit. And when the gnats are gone, it's flies everywhere. And then their financial, their financial capabilities are destroyed as their animals die, as their horses, their camels, their sheep. And that's followed by horrific festering sores on everyone. And still Pharaoh, he stands his ground. How, how does this even happen? How does this happen? When you believe that you are God, then the truth of the actual true God doesn't scare you. And doesn't stop you in your tracks the way that it ought. And next, the worst hailstorm ever shows up, crushing all of Egypt's crops and homes. And Pharaoh's like, How about I let a few of you go? God says, not enough, and he sends locusts. And every every crop not crushed by hail is destroyed by locusts. And then lastly, God sends darkness. Even the loss of light itself, their revered sun god, Ra. His power snuffed out. God is bringing judgment, Exodus, says, Exodus 12 says, huh, on the gods of Egypt. And even that won't break the hardness of Pharaoh's heart. But I like to imagine, as God's judgment is raining down on Egypt, what are his people thinking? God's people lived in an Egyptian city, an encampment called Goshen, And as each plague is wreaking havoc on Egypt, Goshen is spared. Frogs everywhere, but not in Goshen. Flies swarming everywhere, but not a fly in Goshen, the scriptures say. These enslaved people of God, many had lived their life, their entire life as a slave. They knew little of the power or presence of God with his people. Many had children or siblings that had been killed, they endured beatings. They did backbreaking work at the command of Pharaoh. They were broken down. sure many of them had heard stories of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but was he even real or was he just a fable? Was he, was he actually with them? Perhaps he was once, but, but he's forgotten them surely, they must've thought. Their faith had been crushed. They were weak in spirit and in body. Little trust that God could actually save them. And so now imagine as these plagues come down, their countenance changing. As plague after plague strikes their enslavers, crushing the enemy that had crushed them. And as each plague engulfs Egypt, from livestock to houses to men and women, it happens everywhere except in Goshen. This Pharaoh that they had long feared is being brought to his knees. And not only that, but Moses and Aaron are doing it on their behalf. Imagine what they must feel. With each plague, their faith grows. Not confidence in themselves, but confidence in God. Who is this God that rivers and insects and weather, even the sun itself, they all obey him. We're doing nothing over here. Like, what are we contributing to this equation? We're doing nothing, and yet a powerful God is fighting on our behalf. He's with us. Moses and Aaron had tried to tell him beforehand what was going to happen, but they, they couldn't hear it. They were too beaten down to hear, Exodus 6 says. But now they're just, they've got to be looking at each other, going, Can you believe this? Who is this God? And now after nine plagues, literally months, ongoing months of pain and suffering for the Egyptians, God says to his people through Moses, okay, there's one more plague and this plague will be the worst of all and there is only one way you will be spared. Which leads us to number two, that faith needs to remember. And back in Hebrews 11 and verse 28, it says, by faith, he instituted the Passover. Passover. And the sprinkling of the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch the Israelites. So after all these plagues, Moses, God says to Moses, I don't want my people to ever forget this day. And so he gives them instructions. He tells them about a feast that they're going to eat. In Exodus 12, God tells Moses, this day is to be a memorial for you and you must celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. You're to celebrate it throughout your generations as a permanent statute. And so Moses, he gathers all the leaders of Israel together and explains to them uh, what they needed to do. And he says in verse 21 of Exodus 12, go select an animal from the flock according to your families and slaughter the Passover animal. Take a cluster of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin and brush the lintel and the two doorposts with some of the blood in the basin. None of you may go out the door of his house until morning. When the Lord passes through to strike Egypt and seize the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, he will pass over the door and not let the destroyer enter your houses to strike you. And then in verse 24, he says, keep this command permanently as a statute for you and your descendants. When you enter into the land, the Lord will give you as he promised you are to observe this ceremony. When your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? You're to reply. It is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord. For he passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and he spared our homes. So the people knelt low and worshiped. They remembered God. And the Israelites went and they did this. They did just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. By an exercise of faith, God's people were covered, protected, atoned by the blood, by the blood of the lamb, by the blood of this animal. And this is where Moses' story becomes their story. Moses walked by faith. By faith, he didn't fear the king. By faith, though he hesitated at the burning bush, he obeyed God. And now as Moses, by faith, delivers God's words and and tells them about what they're to do, will the people obey by faith? Do they believe God will save them? And will they receive the means of his grace that has been offered through the blood? When I think about their their mindset, I'm always reminded of a story that I heard that Pastor D.A. Carson shared in a sermon a number of years ago. And he tells uh, tells of two uh, fictitious Jews uh, that after receiving the command, they're talking with one another in Goshen. And one says to the other, man, aren't, aren't you a little nervous about tonight? And the other replies, well, God told us what to do through Moses. There's no need to be nervous. Haven't you slaughtered the lamb and put the blood on the doorposts and and, and over over the lintel over the door? Aren't you ready to go? Haven't you packed up your belongings? Aren't you going to eat the Passover meal with with your family? And the the first man says, well, of course. Of course I've done those things. uh, But this is scary. I mean, some terrible things have happened lately. I, the river turning to blood, flies everywhere. And now the, uh, the threatening of, of the firstborn being killed, that, that's scary stuff. I've only got one son. And the angel of death is passing through tonight. So yes, I put the blood over the door, but it's, it's scary. I'll be glad when this night is over. And then the other one responded, this other fictitious Jew looks back and says, I'm not afraid. I trust in the promises of God. And so then D.A. Carson asked the question, that night when the angel of death passed through the camp, which one of these men lost his son? And the answer, of course, is neither. Why? Because death doesn't pass over these Hebrew families due to the perfect faith they exercise. God doesn't reward only those who by faith don't blink. No, God spares his people. He saves them from death based on him, based on the object of their faith. Death passes over because of the blood of the lamb. They knew they had no other hope. They could claim no other refuge. Their faith was in him alone. So even now for us, it is not the intensity of our faith which saves, but the object of our faith. Who can rescue us from death? Our faith is in God himself and the blood of Jesus, the perfect lamb of God. So I look out on our, our room this morning and I ask the question, are, are, are you like them? Are you worn down, exhausted by your attempts uh, to earn your way? Maybe, maybe, that you've, maybe you've heard the pronouncement before. Jesus saves, but you couldn't really hear it. Maybe it seemed too far-fetched, too simple. I've rejected God a million different ways, you may say. My life is one giant rejection of all that I know is right. Maybe it's sin that you can't shake, and that clouds everything. Maybe it's an addiction Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's an anger that you can't control. Maybe it's depression that creeps in regularly. Maybe it's cycles of hidden sin and guilt that crush you every time things get quiet. And because of it, you feel unsavable, too far gone. What would God want with me anyway? And the answer is, what would he want with any of us? What did any of us bring? And what did Israel bring? What did they add to the equation? No, it was his grace, his kindness. And listen, the Israelites ate this meal uh, that Moses instituted. They didn't just eat it that day. They ate it from generation to generation, from year to year, during seasons of wandering and seasons of exile to seasons of rejoicing. And every year they ate it. For hundreds of years, I suppose some of them questioned, even as they ate the meal, has God forgotten us again? Maybe he decided we weren't saving. He feels far. I've heard the Exodus story, but I, I have not felt his presence. As they did this one night, 2000 years ago, the meal was taken again. In a little room in Jerusalem, 13 friends gathered together to take the very same meal that Moses had told them to take. This was 1,500 years later. Remembering the very same story, the exodus, the, the blood over the door, how their ancestors couldn't save themselves, uh, but how God took them from bondage into the promised land. And that night with his 12 friends, Jesus ate the Passover meal with his disciples. But he also started a new meal a new remembrance. And Jesus took that unleavened matzah bread and and he used it that he had just used in the Passover meal. And he said, this bread that represents the, the bread the Jews brought out of Egypt, this was their freedom bread. And now I am your freedom bread. Now this bread, this is my body broken for you. Eat it and remember me. And then he took one of the Passover cups after supper. There would have been four small cups of wine during the meal, two during and two after. So after supper, he took one of those two remaining cups and Jesus, Jesus took that cup, the one that they would have celebrated their redemption from Israel or as, as a nation, his God redeeming them. And with the cup, Jesus said, I'm, I'm making you a new promise, a new covenant. Instead of animals' bloods, I'm going to redeem you with my blood. And I'm redeeming you, not just from Egypt, not just from Rome, but from sin. Whenever you take this cup, remember me, remember what I am about to do for you. God's people needed to remember their rescue from Pharaoh, yes. And they did it with the Passover meal. And Jesus is saying, you've remembered this for years. But there's something now that you need to remember even more. How I will rescue you. And then number three, faith must walk. So during the night, back in our in our story here, during the night, as the Jews woke up, and I, I, I imagine they probably, many of them, didn't sleep, the cries of Egypt would have been unmistakable out their window. God's people had been spared as the firstborn males throughout the land had been struck down by God. And Pharaoh and all of Egypt, they begged. They begged Moses and Aaron, please leave. Take everything, just leave now before we all die. The Egyptians gave them gold and silver and clothes, everything they asked for, just as God had told them. And as the sun rose, thousands upon thousands of Hebrews walked out of their 430-year-old Egyptian prison, the only home that any of them had known. And they marched, men, women, children, grandmothers, grandfathers, animals, carts of belongings, dough that they had prepared for the journey ahead, all toward freedom. And this has to be, I think this has to be one of the most surreal scenes in the Bible. I wish we had, I I, I mean, I would love to just see what what this looked like. Such a powerful scene. God's people who had been brought to Egypt uh, through their mistreatment of Joseph, but God used it to, to rescue them from famine. And now after hundreds of years of suffering and slavery, this little family had become a multitude. Tribes and families. Tasting freedom for the first time. Marching in battle formation, the Bible says, with no explanation for how any of this could have happened except for God. And what does Moses have in his little cart of belongings? He's got Joseph's bones, remember? It's happening. The promise of God being fulfilled. Great is thy faithfulness. I like to imagine this as a multi-day caravan slash worship service. They're praising him, playing music, ready to follow him, ready to serve him. They're gonna go, I'll go anywhere you go. I'm ready for anything, God. We're, we're with you. Look what you've done. And of course, you know, it's gonna get bad. Like it's gonna go bad in the wilderness. Shoot, people are gonna begin complaining in T minus 10 seconds. But for now, just this little moment, it's sweet. Of course, as you know, the story isn't complete until God shows his power once more to complete their escape. God guides them with a pillar of cloud by day and a fire by night, and they set up camp by the Red Sea. And you probably have heard the story, but maybe not. Pharaoh, as he had done so many times before, he goes, wait, what are we doing? Why are we letting them go? We can't do this. We have to stop them. And so he sets out with his chariots and his men And when it looks like it's gonna go bad, in Exodus 14, verse 16, God says to Moses, lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it so that the Israelites can go through on dry ground. And like the most amazing movie scene ever, it's been captured in movies, but probably never adequately. The Lord Blocks Pharaoh, right? So that's that. We don't even talk about that part. The Lord sticks the the pillar of cloud in front of Pharaoh, just so he just to hold him off for a minute. And Moses stretches out his hand, and the sea spreads in half, with a wall of water on either side. And Hebrews eleven verse twenty nine says, "By faith they crossed the Red Sea as though they were on dry land." When the Egyptians attempted to do this, they were drowned. The entire nation of Israel. So here we've been in this hall of faith and we've seen all these people. And now the whole nation, they're in the hall of faith. By faith, they all cross the Red Sea. Sure, seconds before that, some of them were going, hey, Moses, why did you even bring us here? We could have, we'd have been better off to be slaves. You should have left us there. But God is so gracious, right? This is not a moment of chastisement from God. No, he delivers them again. And he crushes their enemies behind them. And we read this and we just go, are are we like them? Are you like them? Do you stand as a recipient of God's forgiveness in the shadow of the cross of Christ just as they stood in the shadow of these big walls of water that they just passed through or were about to pass through and yet still cry out, where are you, God? Are Are you with me? What about my job? What about my spouse? What about my family? What about, have you forgotten me? Look to Jesus, his cross ever reminding you that you can keep walking, that he is with you. He left heaven to reconcile you to the father. He suffered for you. You are precious to him. He says, I'm with you. I, I could never leave or forsake you. You can keep walking. Maybe you feel hemmed in on all sides by sin. Will I ever conquer this? Can I ever be free? Jesus stands ready. He is the Passover lamb for you. His blood, it covers your sin, your doubt. He died in your place and he's alive now, leading you onward. Will you walk with him today? Will you commune with him in his word? Will you depend on his grace He will lead you from your life of slavery by his power. And one day, one day by faith, you will pass through the waters of death and you will pass through them as though you were on dry ground, as though it wasn't really death at all. Others will be swallowed up by death, but Jesus will lead you through death into glory with him. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, we we need to believe. We are fickle. We are forgetful. And yet we are recipients of the most amazing inheritance, the most incredible salvation, the most beautiful forgiveness. And we we brought nothing to it. It's all by your grace, all by your power, all by your care for us. And so, Father, this morning, would we be amazed by this? Would we not question it? Would we not doubt your presence with with us? And when we do, God, would we look to your son? Father, would we look to the cross? Would we look to the empty tomb? Would we be reminded of the scriptures that you are with us where we remember the spirit where we see evidences of your grace all around us so that we might we might be encouraged to walk ahead to move forward with you not by our own strength but by yours so father we need this would you help us would you help us in Christ's name